that, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and Danny Perez will have that reading for us from John chapter 4. The reading will be John chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. John 4, 5 through 10. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? As his disciples had gone to the town to buy food, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have given him a drink of water, and he would have given you living water. I'm glad that you're here tonight. It's always good to worship God in whatever setting, but especially when we're gathered together as a group of His people, as family, and we're able to offer, his, offer our worship to Him together and to spend some time reflecting on His Word. The Bible says very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. If you're like me, that passage is easier read than done. We understand what it means that we're to conduct our lives based upon make our decisions, assess life circumstances based upon the standard of our trust in God and that we're to view life that way and live life that way and not to, to judge things and assess life just based upon superficial things. We walk by faith, not by sight. But isn't it a lot easier... Isn't it more natural to assess people and circumstances superficially? Again, I can't speak for you, but I know for me, that's what I tend to do naturally, is to assess things on a more superficial level. Now, that's something Jesus warned us against. In John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, do not judge according to appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. Sometimes appearances are deceiving. Sometimes we may, uh, we may think something is the case. We may, um, uh, you know, it, it, it may appear that someone is a certain kind of person or whatever, but the appearances can be deceiving and we may make uh, an erroneous judgment. But that seems to be, though, the natural tendency. We just assess things by the, way, by the way they come across to us initially. For me, 
something that I find it difficult to do is to think souls. And and again, I don't know, you may be the same way. It's to think on an eternal level whenever I'm about my daily routine. In other words, I'll give you an example. When I see individuals, my first thought is usually something more superficial and not something more lasting or eternal. If I'm uh, interacting with uh, uh, with uh, the server at a restaurant or uh, at at the bank, or you know, if I'm you know it's, it's the the person who's checking out the the groceries at the store, whatever. Whenever I'm interacting with people, my initial thoughts don't always center on things eternal but on more superficial things. But if I want to personally, and here's the key, and purposely influence another person toward God, if I'm going to do that, then I have to think more eternally and less superficially. I have to try to make myself, if it doesn't come naturally, I have to make myself think souls. Think spiritually and recognize that that person that I'm interacting with has a soul. It's going to spend eternity somewhere. And I need to have some kind of a positive, good influence on that person. Of course, there's no better example of that mindset than the example of Jesus, our Savior. When He woke up each morning and began his activities, he did so with a single governing principle stated by him in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was it. Whatever he did in life, of whatever nature it was, there was this overarching principle that kept him focused on what he was there to do, to seek and to save the lost. What I want for us to do tonight is to look at one very brief example of Jesus interacting with an individual on a spiritual level, at least eventually it gets to that, and I hope in the process we can discover some things that we might be able to bring into our relationships today some things that we might learn from him in how he interacted with this person that might help us as we interact with people from day to day. On this particular day that we're studying from John chapter 4, the Lord's guiding principle that we mentioned earlier to seek and to save the lost, that guiding principle created the scenario described by John this way. He must go through Samaria. Jesus was down in Judea and was headed back up uh, to the Galilean region. And verse 4 of John chapter 4 says, He must go through Samaria. Now that's interesting when it says must, because that was not a geographical necessity. He could have gone around Samaria, and and some Jews did when they traveled. There were some who who didn't want to be... uh, in their minds, defiled by going through Samaritan territory. And so some of them would would go out of their way to cross the Jordan in the south 
go uh, up the eastern side of the Jordan River out of Samaritan territory and then into Galilee, crossing the Jordan River again to the north. Some of them would not go through Samaria. But that wasn't a geographical necessity. So Jesus could have done that if he wanted to. And so when the text says he must go through Samaria, there was something else at work there than just a matter of geography. I submit that it was his father's will that he go through Samaria. And in that sense, he must. And so he does. And with that in mind, here's principle number one that I want you to think about. Live your life with an evangelistic purpose. Live your life with an evangelistic purpose. That was the Lord's. And when the text says he must go through Samaria, I'm convinced that that was why. Because his life was a life designed to be one that sought to save the lost. And so he must go through Samaria because there was something for him to do there. So his life was a life lived with an evangelistic purpose. I submit to you that ours needs to be that too. And so as we live life from day to day, we, we live it thinking in our minds, hopefully, that maybe there will be an opportunity for me today to do something to lead someone toward the kingdom. I appreciate what Kerry said in his prayer earlier. As he prayed to God that God would open up doors of opportunity for us as we live life from day to day. That's a great sentiment. And I'll say this, if you don't want opportunities, don't pray that. <laughs> because when you start praying for opportunities, God's going to give them to you. So let's pray for opportunities and be ready for them. Let's live life with an evangelistic purpose. I found myself too often so fixed in a routine that opportunities to influence others for good sometimes pass me right by without my noticing those opportunities, until the opportunities passed. And sometime, perhaps later in the day, it crosses my mind, you know what, that was a great opportunity. I could have said this or that, or I could have done this for that person. But perhaps if we try to focus our minds regularly and remind ourselves of the opportunities, or the fact that we're going to have opportunities, then perhaps we'll see them better when they reveal themselves. Time is very precious. And if we would be like Jesus, we'll look for those evangelistic opportunities, redeeming the time, buying up the time, making the most of the opportunities, because the days are evil, Ephesians 5, verse number 16. And so when Jesus goes through Samaria and he arrives at the place where Jacob's well was, it's around noontime, and a woman comes to draw water from this well. Two things of note I want you to consider about that. Number one, the Jewish leaders uh, would eventually codify their traditions. Jesus talked a lot about the Pharisaical traditions and how the Pharisees had basically made void the Word of God because of their traditions, and they held their traditions really to be not, not just on par with God's Word, but actually even more authoritative than the Word of God. And those traditions would be recorded eventually uh, and, and codified. And that, that, that set of written traditions was called the Mishnah. 
And the Mishnah stated that Samaritan women, because they were Samaritan women, lived in a constant, perpetual state of ritual uncleanness. And so, for a Jewish individual to have any kind of personal interaction with the Samaritan woman was against the traditions of the people because they were considered always, under every circumstance, unclean. I suspect the Samaritan woman understood that because when Jesus engaged her in conversation, it kind of surprised her as seen by her reaction to that. So note that first of all and file that away in your mind with this point. Number two, this woman's coming at noon to the well might very well be an indication of her standing in that culture. Because it was not normally at noontime that the women would go to the wells for water. That was usually done twice a day, once early in the morning and once in the evening. And they did that for a couple of purposes, not the least of which weather. It's a better time of day, and so they would go early in the morning, get the water for the day. they go in the evening. It was not common for the women to go to the well at noon. When she went to the well at noon, she was going at a time when probably no one else was going to be there. Now, why was that? Well, the text doesn't say, and I don't want to read into the text what isn't there, but it's clear from what we do know about the circumstances is she was going there at a time that was not normal. Might it be that she was considered because of her immoral past, which Jesus will bring up to her, that she was considered an outcast in her own culture? Regardless, it leads to this point and this principle. We've already made one principle, live life with evangelistic purpose. Now consider this principle. Don't ignore those who are ignored by everyone else. You want to make a difference in people's lives? You want to be like Jesus? Don't ignore the people who are ignored by everyone else. When Jesus encountered this woman, that was an, it was an odd thing given their circumstances. Jewish men did not interact with Samaritan women. They were ignored, but not by Jesus. If it is the case that she was an outcast even in her own culture, evidenced by the fact that she was going to draw water at a time when nobody went to draw water, Jesus did not ignore her. It's easy for us, however, sometimes to do that. To forget. Maybe We would never admit it, but maybe our actions, we just tend to go in that direction and, and forget that the gospel's for all. The gospel is God's power to save to Jew first and also to the Greek, Romans 1.16. You know what? That just includes everybody. <laughs> you want to divide people into categories? That's really biblically how it's most often done. Jew and non-Jew. Jew and Gentile. That covers everybody. That's who the gospel is for. Peter got that lesson. It took a miracle to help him to see it, but he got it, Acts 10, verse 34, when he said, finally, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that fears God and works righteousness is acceptable to him. There is no partiality with God, Romans 2, verse 11. 
Jesus often engaged in spiritual conversation with people that were shunned by everybody else. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, one reference to that. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, the tax collectors and the sinners were coming to Jesus to hear him. He didn't turn them away. He talked to them. He interacted with them. And the religious leaders looked at him and saw what he was doing. And in Luke 15, verses 2 and 3, they say, you can almost picture the, the, the sneer on their faces when they cast an accusing finger his direction and said, this man eats with sinners. Well, he wasn't ashamed of that. Though everyone else might have shunned those people, Jesus did not. Of course, Jesus never condoned any kind of sinful activity. But he was trying to have an influence on those people for good. He was trying to reach them with the good news that he came to bring into people's lives. And in order to do that, he needed to interact with them. And even though the religious leaders of that day, the ones who should have been interacting with those folks to try to reach them with the truth, they shunned them. Jesus did not. So as we think about this principle of thinking souls, we need to live life with an evangelistic purpose. And let us not ignore those that are ignored by everyone else. And so when this woman arrived, Jesus engaged her in conversation. Point number three. Be actively friendly. Be actively friendly with folks. You want to think souls? Living your life with an evangelistic purpose, not ignoring people that other people do ignore? Be actively friendly. Look at verse 7 of John chapter 4. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. What has he just done? Well, he has started a conversation, and it's a conversation connected to what she was doing. She had come there to draw water. Jesus sees that. He looks at that. He sees an opportunity. He takes advantage of the opportunity. He strikes up a conversation that involved what that person was doing. You want to start a conversation with someone that might eventually lead to something spiritual? Notice what the other person is involved in at the time and ask them about it. Talk to them about it. That's what Jesus did. He engaged her in conversation. And then as the conversation progresses, he leads into principle number four. Look for transition opportunities. Look for transition opportunities. Jesus is engaging her in conversation. Please, he asks for a drink, verse number seven. She's a little startled by that. That's when she says, how can you, a Jewish man, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, John says parenthetically. So she's a little bit disturbed by that. And Jesus takes the opportunity, using the topic of their conversation, water, and transitioned that into a spiritual application. When he says in verses 9 and 10, 
Verse 10 specifically, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. So he takes water and uses it as an opportunity to change the conversation into a spiritual subject. I would encourage us to look for those opportunities too. I'll give you a couple of examples. A friend confides in you about a problem that they may be having, so, something that's going wrong in their lives, some, some struggle, some obstacle, some something. You're at work, maybe it's a neighbor or something, you're just having conversation, and that person says something to you about the problem that they're facing. Use that as an opportunity to turn the conversation in a spiritual direction by saying something like this. I believe with all my heart that God has the answers to our problems. That the Bible has the answers to the difficulties we face in life. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask God to bless you and to help you through this. And if you want to talk about it further, I'd love to talk about it and help you through it myself. By those simple words, you have let that other person know that you believe in God, that you believe in the authority of His Word, that His Word has the answers, the guidance for our lives. You've communicated to that individual that you care. And it's because of your belief in God that you do care and that you're going to pray for them. And you're giving them an opportunity themselves to do something about their own spiritual condition. Just by taking an innocent comment that they might make to you you take it and get to the real heart of the problem and say, you know what, there's some spiritual things at work here. But you do it with kindness and you do it with gentleness. How about trying to work, here's another idea, how about trying to work Bible verses into conversation? The Proverbs are great for this. Spend a lot of time in the Proverbs and, and latch on to some of those statements that could find their way into, into conversations uh, of, of a sometimes mundane nature. You get to work one morning. When does this not happen in the Houston area? <laughs> a wreck. Right? A car accident. It happens constantly. It's amazing to someone that hasn't lived here very long. How many times that happens? Well, you, you get to your work, you get to school, wherever, and, uh, and somebody's coming in, they say, wow, I didn't know if I was going to make it here on time. I was delayed on, on the, the Katy Freeway or wherever it was, and, and um, it was a bad, bad accident, had the traffic backed up. I'm glad I made it. Right? Does that conversation ever happen? It's a great opportunity to work in a message from the Word of God. You might say something like, yeah, I heard about that accident, or I, I, you know, I saw it on television, I heard about it on the radio, or whatever. You know, Proverbs 27.1 says, don't boast about tomorrow, because you don't know what a day brings forth. You know, you might say, you know, the, I, I remember thinking about that, made me think about that verse in the book of James, where, James says, what is your life? It's just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You never know what's going to happen. That may be you or me 
the next time there's a wreck on the Katy Freeway. Well, what have you done? You've taken, you've taken a regular daily occurrence, something that happens all the time, that, that gets talked about all the time. It's all, when do we not talk about traffic? Right? But you take that and you turn it into something with a spiritual application that then gives that person the opportunity to think about their own spiritual condition. And maybe it leads to additional conversations. What about um, your discussing plans, future plans? We all do that too. We, we talk about, oh, I'm going to take vacation next week, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Why not do what James said, James chapter 4, and work in the phrase, and not just do it meaninglessly, but do it and mean it. If the Lord wills, I'm going to do this. If God is willing, I'm going to go do this in the future. I'm going to take vacation. I'm going to do it. We talk about plans all the time. Why not work God into the conversation? Because it communicates, number one, again, that we believe in God, that we believe that, uh, that God has something to do with our future plans, and that we recognize that if we're going to do anything, it's only going to be if God allows us to do that. You've worked God into the conversation about Regular, day-to-day, mundane things. And you never know then where those conversations might go from there. You might remember to try to give God credit when the occasion calls for it. And there are a lot of those opportunities too. How many, how many times could we, when, when perhaps someone at, at your work is, is ill, or maybe someone confides in you that someone that they know and love is perhaps facing a, disease of some kind. Use it as an opportunity to not only say something similar to what we said earlier, that you're going to pray for them or pray for their, their loved one, but why not take opportunities like that to say, you know what, I thank God all the time for my health. I'm so thankful that God has blessed me with good health, and, and I, I hope that He blesses you with good health too. Again, you've worked God into the conversation. And perhaps it may lead down the road to further conversations. And so that's what Jesus did. We go back to John 4. He engages her in conversation. He is actively friendly with her. He simply asks her a question that has to do with what she's doing. She's there to draw water. He asks her a question about water. And then he turns it into a spiritual conversation. And at a later point, she asks him, a Bible question. You know, our fathers worship in this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. That's later, down about verses 19, 20, 21. We skipped a lot of the conversation, but I want to get to that point. This is principle number next. What's that, five? Expect questions. Expect questions. When you start engaging people in conversation, and that conversation turns to spiritual things, and if that happens enough, it may not take long, but at some point, if you have developed a reputation, as it were, of someone that believes in God, and people know that, and 
You've kind of worked a few Bible passages into conversation and people notice that. Eventually, somebody's going to come to you and say, you know what, i got a Bible question. You, you read your Bible. You, you mention the Bible a lot. You believe in God. You've said that a number of times. What about this? Expect questions. And when that happens, answer them if you can. Delay them if you must. You know, sometimes people are going to ask us questions that we don't have an answer for. Maybe it's a question we've never thought about. We try to be ready, right? We try to have a, a level of biblical knowledge and understanding so that if people do ask us a question about something, we like to have a ready answer for that. Do you know what? That's not always going to be the case. So defer the questions if you must. It's better to defer and answer the question well later than to try to fake your way through an answer and say something that you have to take back later. Take it from someone who has done that more than once. Somebody comes and asks you a question, you want to be able to give them an answer, right? Because they're trusting you. They have some level of trust that they, they feel confident. They come to you and they ask a question. You want to be able to give them an answer. Well, sometimes the temptation is to give them some kind of an answer simply because they ask, and you may not be all that confident in the answer. And then you go back and you, and you think about it some more and you study it some more and you realize, you know what, that wasn't the best answer. Then you've got to go back and say, well, let me change that. Well, there's nothing wrong if that happens. If you need to change the answer, go change the answer. But it may be better to say, you know what, that's a great question. I really had never thought about that. Let me think on that and let me get back to you. And anything wrong with that. And then go give it some serious thought and give them a well-thought-out answer that shows them, number one, that you do care because you took the time to take their question and deal with it and, and study it through and give them biblical uh, principles and passages that they can go back and chew on themselves and, and study on their own. It shows them that you care because you took the time to do that. So expect questions. You want to think souls? Maybe these principles will help us all. Live life with an evangelistic purpose. Live every day thinking about, looking for opportunities. Don't ignore those that are ignored by everyone else. Be actively friendly. Look for transition opportunities in your conversation. And then expect questions. And do your best to guide people toward the Word of God. It's hard to change thought patterns. It really is. It's hard to change habits. It takes determination. And it takes patience to stop seeing people superficially and to start seeing them as eternal souls that will spend eternity somewhere. But I want to challenge us all tonight to keep working on that, to keep thinking souls that we might be an influence for good in the lives of those that we contact from day to day. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation, as we normally do. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. If you'd like to open your songbooks there at this time, go ahead and do that. We're going to sing a song that speaks of Jesus calling us. He's doing that through His Word that He's given us. And He's doing that in a way 
through us as we encourage each other in song. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, burdened down, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, my responsibilities, my commandments, my obligations. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What a great invitation. Have you accepted it? Have you responded positively to it? If not, we're giving you an opportunity to do that tonight. If you're ready to do that, if you've been thinking about it, studying it, you understand that you need to come to Christ believing in Him as the Son of God, John 8, 24. If you recognize your need to repent of your sins, Acts 17, verse 30, and confess your faith in Christ, as Romans 10 instructs. And if you recognize your need to be immersed in water, for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and you recognize all of those things and you're ready to do it, we encourage you to respond tonight. I know many of you are Christians already, but it may be that you haven't been living your life like you know you should. Maybe you haven't been putting the Lord first. Then change that tonight. You have it within your ability to do that. Make up your mind tonight that nothing or no one is going to stand between you and your God. And if you need to confess some sin that separated you from God, or maybe you want to request the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you might be strong and faithful to the Lord. We're ready to help you in any way that we can. And so if we can do that, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing together.